This episode of Profiles and Risk is sponsored by Insurance Nerds Day. Teaming up with the Gamma Iota Sigma International Conference, Insurance Nerds is proud to host a single-day event. For years, we have dreamed of a different type of insurance conference. A half a day of to-the-point TEDx-style speakers, a half day of learning labs, which will include hands-on skill-building sessions featuring the experts of the insurance ecosystem from many different disciplines, and Insurance Jeopardy, hosted by yours truly. Lots of networking opportunities, and we are even hosting this on a Saturday, so you don't have to lose a vacation day. Insurance Nerds Day will be in Chicago on Saturday, October 6th. The price is only $99. Register now at insurancenerdsday.com. That's insurancenerdsday, one word, dot com. I hope to see you there. Cue the music. This is Profiles in Risk. by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Profiles in Risk. I am your host, Nick Lamparelli. I am pleased to introduce Tom Johansmeyer. Tom is the co-head of Property Claim Service, PCS. Tom, how are you? I'm doing well, Nick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you back on again. Um, in, in light of uh, events that are coming up in the insurance world, I thought it was a good idea to have you back on to talk about it, specifically the uh, rendezvous event, the big event in Monte Carlo in France. And uh, I, thought we'd, I thought we'd spend some time, go into what's going on with that particular event. But uh, maybe, maybe as a good way to start, could you describe to the audience what is the rendezvous event in Monte Carlo? Why is it so important? It's pretty interesting. So I've always joked that Monte Carlo is the reason that I have to work in August when everybody else is on vacation. (laughs) It it happens generally around the second week of September and requires a massive amount of preparation because in some ways the rendezvous, reinsurance rendezvous, is like the Super Bowl of the reinsurance industry. But what's interesting is it signals the beginning of the season, not the end. So for those of you new to reinsurance, most insurers renew their reinsurance protection at January 1st. And of course, given the complexity and the detail and so forth involved, uh, the renewal process obviously takes a lot of time. So the rendezvous in Monte Carlo signals the unofficial start to the January 1st reinsurance renewal. And it's always fun to think about the January 1st process starting in September because it is insanely hot in Monaco. And all I can think about is how cold it is in Jersey City in January and how much I would kill for that while sitting out there baking in the sun for 14 (laughs) hours a day. You know, and you, you think about 
you know, the exotic location and the spot on the Riviera and all that good stuff. I'm going on my fifth rendezvous this year, and I can tell you that, generally speaking, I haven't noticed any of that stuff. It's best described as a, a death march. You know, you show up on Sunday usually, you finish on Wednesday, and it's wall-to-wall meetings in between. Uh, over the years, the format has been has evolved into what's generally now called reinsurance speed dating. You schedule, it's crazy, right? You schedule these 30-minute blocks throughout the day. And, you know, you think about it, 30 minutes is not a long time. And every 30 minutes, people get up and kind of change tables. Now, it's complicated by the fact that very little of this is actually structured. So you may have meetings at the Café de Paris at, say, 10 o'clock, and then you run down to the lobby of the Fairmont for 10.30. Then you run up to Hotel de Paris for 11, and you you can be bouncing back and forth all day long. Um, It's good to work out a little bit, get your heart and lungs strengthened up before before this conference, because you can be on the go quite a bit. Also, you know, the beginning of every session, you see a whole lot of people standing and looking around because it's not always easy to find your next meeting. (laughs) So every 30 minutes, you see a whole bunch of people kind of standing on their toes and craning their necks, trying to find their next contacts and then scrambling to hope somebody gets up from a table. It is absolute chaos, but it is very important because it's those brief connections where you get the ball rolling that can really, you know, set the tone for the renewal as a whole and set the shape for your own peer, your own experience through the coming three month period. Yeah. So what, what do you think are going to be the themes for this particular, by the way, your description sounded like clubbing, um, <laughs> it, you know, so I, I don't, I don't know if they're playing very loud boom music in the uh, background, but that's what it, that's what it sounded like. So right there, that's like, I, I probably wouldn't be interested in that. I'd like the cafe idea, but not that one. So what do you, what do you think are going to be the themes this year? Do you think, how much do you think uh, the 2017 him storm season or, or the global storm season will have an effect in, on these particular meetings? Uh, you know, generally speaking, when there's major storm activity, that's all anyone can talk about. Yeah, sometimes to uh, you know, sometimes to sorts of frustration as well. Uh, I remember this time last year, we were making massive progress toward the adoption of our global marine and energy loss index, and we were getting ready to launch our global cyber index. It was a really exciting time. You know, I hit Casino Square in Monte Carlo and get ready for my meeting, and all people can talk about is Harvey and oh my God, is Irma? Is that going to be a real thing? It looks like it's gaining steam. Yeah, so one storm and another coming invalidated months of progress at, you know, toward industry diversification and sourcing more original risk into the market. And then, of course, throughout the rest of the year, we then had you know, Maria, which is massive, then the, you know, the trio of major wildfires uh, in Northern California. Now, of course, the losses are all still developing. We've got uh, new wildfires cropping up in California that are currently significant on a humanitarian basis and are expected to become significant uh, as an insured loss as well. We've got you know, the, the Hawaiian volcano that we're still tracking as an ongoing event. 
so we're not at the point where we would start uh, developing our loss estimates yet. So all in, there's been a ton of recent mat cat activity, as well as several major large industry losses that PCS remains, um, you know, that PCS is keeping open and is working on estimates for. All of this stuff will absolutely come up during the renewal. Um, it seems as though there's enough capital in the market right now that you know, anybody looking for a significant increase in insurance rates as a result of these losses will probably continue to be disappointed. You know, the, the expectations of major market moving cap, I think, have subsided a bit. It's going to take more than massive losses to change the market. That being said, there are plenty of conversations to be had about the assumption of wildfire risk, and especially for aggregates and all-natural peril covers, where the uh, Northern California events last year did make an did have an impact. There is plenty to be said around how ILWs are structured. Again, there were a lot of aggregate ILWs that may have performed a little bit differently from how people expected. And uh, I think there are some good conversations to be had about how ILWs are structured as well, you know, particularly around um, when an ILW pays out relative to the PCS reporting cycle. Do you think there'll be any convert? Well, for, let, let me let me tap into the wildfire piece first. It it's wildfire has always been like the ugly stepchild of catastrophes. Because it's fire, it's always covered generally in property policies, and it's kind of like an afterthought, like, oh, that only happens in California, and now we're getting billion-dollar losses. Do you think there'll be a change in the conversation about the amount of capacity that's provided for wildfire or pricing? Do you, do you actually think the uh, general property cover will change how it handles wildfire? These are all interesting questions, but I think my, my first thought in answer to this is that you need to keep in mind that there are a lot of things that happen after a loss that a reinsurer or an intermediary would want to bring into the market or would like to change. But there's a lot of capacity out there, and this remains a seedings market. So, personally, you know, my, my feeling on this is that any change won't be nearly as drastic as one might expect. Okay. Do you think there'll be more ILS activity in wildfire? I do. I mean, it, it's interesting because even as we speak, there is a, a wildfire liability cat bond in the market right now. It's being worked on. And that you know it's been publicly reported. What's 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 li so, what's the liability part of it? So it's, this is interesting. It's a corporate cat bond, um, being sponsored by PG and E, the uh, utility out there. Yeah. And so if they if they were to face liability relative to a wildfire, the transaction would kick into play. Now, I, I don't have a whole lot of detail beyond that, just given what PCS does in the market. 
that were property catastrophe um, in the yeah, in the NatCat space rather than liabilities. This isn't something that would hit our radar necessarily. Um, it's something we watch and keep track of. But at the same time, it's not um, it's not the sort of transaction that we would be on. Yeah. Um, not less it's interesting because it is liability from wildfire. It's interesting because it's a corporate cat bond uh, rather than an insurer or a reinsurer sponsoring it. Um, so it's got uh, it ticks a lot of the innovation boxes. I love that. I I love that we're ILS is you know with first with the uh, New York City subway system the metro uh PGE now I love it that uh ILS is expanding into more of a corporate realm and covering areas where obviously these companies feel like they can't get the coverage or the capacity necessary from the traditional insurance markets that they have to go out and craft their own that that to me would seem like that's going to open up like this would be burgeoning like this would open up a whole new realm of tailor-made bespoke ILS products for very very specific needs. Oh, absolutely! And with with wild with wildfire liability being in there, um, it, it's interesting to see you know the L word show up like that. When you look at some of the work comp transactions that have been done, like on a parametric basis, those are work comp from Quake. Um, and the parameter is a NAT-CAT parameter rather than a liability measure, so to speak. In this case, this is you know, definitely a liability cover. And what I'm wondering is, you know, does that open the door for other longer tail transactions. I mean, I know there are some private collateralized deals that have been done in the liability space uh, through multi-strategy. There has been, oh, oh, last year there was an ILW done on the PCS Global Marine and Energy Index, um, and our index does include liability. That index includes liability. Um, so there, there's been some dabbling in this. Um, there's a couple of cap bonds over the years that have kind of moved into the liability space a bit, you know, but now that we're seeing kind of a growing number of corporates who have sponsored and we're seeing kind of a, a larger and more public commitment to uh, a liability transaction, hopefully this can break down some barriers and help bring some original risk into the market. And when you think about liability, you think about big risks. Yeah. I start to think of that cyber. Yeah, I, I had I had a meeting with an engineering company that is designing uh, flood barriers, and uh, this never came up in our conversation. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I wouldn't want to be the product liability carrier for them, or, or maybe I would because maybe I would understand it a little bit more. But there's uh, you know these companies coming in; they're still dealing in cat. They're just not, they just don't happen to be taking that kind of carrier risk, you know, the, the risk of loss. They're trying to create these products that could potentially fail during a natural catastrophe. So it's just the liability associated with that and how it's now weaving its way into other areas could really open up ILS to a, a lot of these different things where, where you know, you, you brought up um, long-tailed, you know, for like PGE, it's still fire. 
right? It's still at the end of the day, it's did they cause a fire, which the liability could be somewhat longer tail than traditional property, but not like long tail for like asbestos or, you know, something you, you, you'll know there, you know, for a given year, there was either a fire or there wasn't a fire. So the, the tail exposure is probably not as long as traditional liability, which makes it really valuable for an ILS investor. It's a good point. So what I'm curious about you know, is how you know, how long the tail could be. I mean, while you've got something like asbestos, which can go on for decades, um, I'm curious to see what sort of appetite the ILS community would have for you know for still something longer than uh, a property cat tail. I think it's a great sign. I think it's important, uh, and I, I think that this is the sort of thing that could help bring many new types of risk into the ILS market. And, you know, when you think about how much capacity we have in the sidelines and how much competition there is for existing business relative to capital out there, we need large new sources of risk to come in to truly transform the market. Hopefully this is a step in that direction. Yeah. What about, uh, for rendezvous, how much conversation do you think there'll be with uh, non-CAT reinsurance? And, uh, you know, for a lot of those companies, probably the, de- the desire and the need to diversify outside of CAT-prone perils. Hopefully people will make time for that around the whole HIM and wildfire discussion. <laughs> That's always the challenge, right? People focus on the most pressing issues facing them. That part of my mission at Monty is to do both. I want to, of course, address the market's needs around natural catastrophes in the United States. It's obviously what PCS is here for. Uh, but additionally, part of our obligation to the market is to help drive the market into the future. And that's where I do, I do plan to uh, have quite a few conversations around non-cat, um, particularly, you know, terror is something we're focused on since the beginning of the year. Um, global marine and energy, we continue to work on events and reporting there. We've got uh, one more we're working on right now, Kia Trading. And then, of course, there's cyber, where we, um, we've added seven events since launching that product at Monty last year. And in addition to that, we're going to be going live with our cyber catastrophe product um, at Monty this year. So uh, within the context of Pet You Not Pet You and Silent Cyber, there's a lot to talk about as well. So we believe that specialty lines and cyber in particular have the potential to become the next, um, you know, U.S. hurricane for the global reinsurance market. When you, you look at the market, it's very difficult to think of anything, any one thing that could help you diversify away from U.S. CAT. Everything else is almost uh, a rounding error, and you need an aggregate of almost everything to help you diversify away from U.S. CAT. We believe that cyber has the potential to do a lot more on its own to provide that diversification. Where do you see the cyber market going in 2019? Um, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to because you're making big bets, I'm assuming you're going to say growth, obviously, uh, the events keep occurring. 
you know, for, kind of forecast a little bit. If you give, give your pitch. Uh, practice your pitch before you go to Monty. <laughs> yeah, so uh, if only you could see the winning smile over audio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, here's the deal. I, I think you're going to see incremental progress for a couple of years before something big happens. Incremental progress is where you test out the the bit by bit that in total will turn into something very significant. And for 2019, I think the biggest thing the industry needs to be thinking about right now is reinsurance. So in the primary insurance market, we've seen a couple of important developments this year. All right, so we saw uh, Google placed a $720 million tower. That's the biggest known affirmative cyber tower out there. Uh, we've seen several losses, large and small, um, or relatively small risk losses, so kind of a 20 to $50 million range. We've seen them hand, absorbed and handled. Um, we, we've seen a market that's functioning well in the way that it's designed to function. So to add new original insurance into the market with a standard $300 million program or 400 or up to 500, that's more routine in the market right now. That's, that's easily done. Taking a insured like Google to a larger limit, it's a little more challenging, a step in the right direction, um, but it still seems indicative of a market operating the way it's comfortable operating. What could challenge that is capacity, especially capacity for things that are a little bit different from the way the market is comfortable operating. And what I'm hearing a lot right now is that reinsurance capacity in general could become constrained. Some, some of the kind of larger players in primary insurance haven't been able to get all the reinsurance they might want. And right now, that's not a huge deal. You can hold it in that still a small market. But that's the kind of fudge factor in a small market that you can't scale up to a big market. You know, there's some things you can do when you're smaller and comparatively under the radar. You can get away with it. It's not a big deal. But when you've got something big and noticeable, uh, you can't do it that way. So I think sorting out the availability of reinsurance to meet a broader set of needs, that's got to happen. And that's got to happen, I think, in the next 12 to 18 months. We really need to sort that out. In order to do that, there is a growing sense that reinsurers are going to need to get retrocessional protection. There hasn't been much for retro market for cyber so far. Uh, there's been talk of a, a couple of very targeted cyber retro deals. There's some retro that's been done as part of uh, programs other than cyber, where cyber gets lumped in. I think that might get harder to do as cyber gets bigger. So these are things we need to be able to figure out. 2019, I think, is the year that needs to happen. Yeah, and for and any, that means, I, I want, I just want to interject, Tom, for anyone that's listening, retro is reinsurance that reinsures by. So it's adding another link to the chain. So even the big reinsurers will will seek to 
spread and minimize their risk a little bit by buying retro and so that you have to find another market uh, that's willing to take that risk to, to kind of spread it out a little bit. And here's what's interesting. The, the reinsurers who write cyber right now understand cyber, and it's a small, relatively contained market. So if you want to buy retro, your first thought would be to go to a reinsurer who understands cyber. They might not be able to take your business because they might be on the same stuff and could be kind of up to their tolerance already. Additionally, you know, when you buy protection, you're generally expected to show some data. Now, how comfortable would you be opening your book to your competitors in a fairly small market? <laughs> yeah, no, like, understandable. Uh, yeah. I, would, I would welcome seeing my competitors' books if I was in that sort of situation. So what this means is we either need to bring in more sources of capacity, which means getting them up to speed on cyber reinsurance, which of course then means, hey, why would I just write retro now that I understand cyber? I can go layer down and get access to more deal flow. Uh, the other thought is to start trading on an index, industry loss index basis. DCS Global Cyber is the index, just like we see in the ILW market. Uh, that we think has some near-term potential that can help move the market a bit. You know, the the words I hear and have heard for the past year that generally have frustrated me quite a bit were always, eh, I can quote a share it. Yeah, and it's true, right? Quote a share is easy to execute, easy to understand. You know, you're not going to hurt your back doing a quote a share. No heavy lifting there. The problem is you're, you're effectively renting and assuming somebody else's expertise. The ability to do that does have limits. You can't just do quota shares forever. Eventually, as in can't, you'll wind up needing to do some excess of loss, reinsurance. You'll need other tools such as ILWs. And I think that's the point we're approaching. You know, eventually, for a small market, the tools that make a small market function smoothly tend to be outgrown. And we're going to see that, I think, start to happen in 2019. Interesting stuff. Uh, I would like to join you at some point. Uh, I would love to go to one of these uh, in, in Monte Carlo. So uh, I'm going to put it on my bucket list for next year. Uh, I want I want you to do us a favor though, Tom. I want you to come back on September after after your meetings when you've uh, had a chance to catch your breath and get some sleep, uh, and l let's go through a summary of what you learned there. But I think more importantly, I want to see some pictures of you on a yacht doing you know striking up some deals. <laughs> My pleasure on all counts. I will happily get that done. Awesome, awesome, Tom. Thanks for the. Uh, for the sneak preview of rendezvous. Um, it, it, it just sounds like an awesome event. So I can't wait to hear uh, how it goes for you and for everybody else. So thanks for coming on and giving us that sneak preview. Thank you, man. Definitely. Okay. My guest this week has been Tom Johansmeyer of PCS. Tom, thanks again.